Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. Join us as we discover the cast of Christmas, the key players in the story we all know and love. What is special about these groups? Why are they part of the story? Reverends Tom Simcox and Don Schwing will open the Word of God and guide us to understand more about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you would like more information or have any questions, please visit us at www.gracewaybc.org. Come with us now as we open the Word. Well, while pastor's moving that, i got to say something about that song. I, I hope you looked at the words. You know, we're celebrating the first Advent. That song was talking about the second Advent. That song is talking about Jesus coming back and ruling this for blunged planet. This place is a mess. And we need Jesus, and he's going to rule the world with truth and grace. And the nations will come to him as king of kings and lord of lords. And I don't know about you, but I'd like ready to say amen, we're done. I mean, that, that just kind of said it all. I love the first Advent, but I'll tell you, the second one is going to be amazing. I also don't have a clicker. So you want to click? I'm clickless. I am clickless down here, up here. I don't know, I just get excited when I sing that song because there's so much that is wrong with the world today. And there is going to be so much that's right when Jesus returns. You know, you're saying about no more thorns. You realize there's going to be no weeds, no thorns, no disease, no COVID, no masks. And nobody will care what Foshi says. There'll be no vaccines. There will be peace. And if you don't come and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, uh, you're going to be hungry because it's not going to rain in your country. And he will know who's there and who isn't because he's God. And he's going to rule with truth and mercy and grace. Everything that we're looking for today will be present in that day. I don't know about you, but even so, come Lord Jesus. This morning, we begin probably one of my favorite times of the year is Christmas. I used to say that 99 and 44 100 percent of my entire just, just mindset is just geared for Christmas. I start listening to Christmas carols sometime after Labor Day, and I usually stop sometime after Valentine's Day. Um, I love Christmas, and I love preaching about Christmas. And I was very excited when uh, Pastor Don came up with the theme. I'll tell you, one of the reasons why I've often struggled with the idea of being a pastor, I used to tell Pastor Emmons, how in the world do you like come up with like 900 Christmas Eve messages? You know, there's some sheep, and there's a manger, and there's magi, and there's angels. After you've, you've kind of done it, it's like, done! You know? But then Pastor John put a fresh, uh, Pastor Don put a fresh spin on this, and I was really excited about this. You're going to notice uh, what I tried to do, and I'm going to do this each of the weeks that I'm with you. I want to put the, 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 the cast of characters up there, but I want you to see where we are. And today we're going to be looking at prophets. And as we go through here, as you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy 18. I just want to share with you a little bit. When I teach at Word of Life, this is part of the class that I share as I'm teaching a messianic prophecy because when we talk about prophets and we're talking about the birth of Jesus, we are talking about something known as messianic prophecy. And did you know that there are over 333 messianic prophecies that paint a very clear picture of that long-expected Jewish Messiah in the Hebrew Scriptures? Now, the odds of one man 
fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. It's the number you see up there, which is pronounced 100 quadrillion. Eight prophecies. Now, there's over 333. One man fulfilling just eight of them is 100 quadrillion. Now, you add to that the fact that there's 333, but one man to fulfill 48 prophecies is the number one followed by 157 zeros. I tried to put it on the slide and it wouldn't fit. I want you to understand that just as the Bible was being written, God had promised that he was going to send a redeemer. You know, in the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the very foundation of the world. Before God said, in the beginning, God and began creating, he already knew how it was going to turn out. And he knew we were going to need a redeemer. And he knew that Jesus was going to be the Lamb of God that would come to redeem. And the word redeem means to buy back that which is lost. Now, how did this unfold? Well, I want you to look at the ministry. First off, we're in Deuteronomy 18. We're going to go there in just a second. But the idea of a prophet is one who is a spokesman or a speaker. It's one of three anointed offices that you're going to see up there. Prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, and kings were anointed. Prophets stood with their back to God, their face to the people proclaiming, Thus saith the Lord, very much like a pastor. They proclaimed God's word to the people. Understand that when the office of prophet was going to begin... That, that the entire scripture hadn't been written yet. So people needed to hear a word from the Lord, and they needed to know if what they were doing was right or wrong. So the prophets came and said, Thus saith the Lord. Now, when the people heard the word of God, that should do something in their lives and hearts. And that's where the priest came in, because the priest stood with their back to the people, their face towards God, interceding on behalf of the people that had heard the word of God, and said, like I preached back in the book of Isaiah, what was me? You see, dear one, whenever we hear the word of God, whenever we open up the book, it should do something to our lives. It should impact us. It should, it should convict us. It should change us. It should make us look at ourselves in relation to God differently. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he said, woe is me. He's a prophet. He's one of the good guys. But when he saw himself in comparison with God, he knew he was lacking. Folks, whenever we come to this book, it should, it should just make us feel different. I used to tease my pastor back in the day, say, well, you must have been in my house all week because it was like you just took the word and just kind of went one upside down and the other side and around the middle and kind of crossed in the middle. And it was like he was just doing a dance all over my, my, my wretchedness. Folks, that's what God's word does. So the prophet stood and proclaimed the word. The priest then took the heart of the people and brought it before the Lord. And the kings were supposed to rule before God. They were to keep a copy of the law that they wrote with their own hand from the Bible. They were to keep it and have it before them always. Now, it's interesting. You could be a prophet and a king. David was. David was a king. David was also a prophet. You could be a priest and a prophet. Samuel was. Samuel was not only a priest of the Most High God, but he was a prophet. But you could not be a king and a prophet, or a king and a priest. 
because to bring those two together, dear one, you controlled the spiritual and you controlled the temporal, and only one person was going to be able to do that, and that's Jesus. You see, there were two kings that tried to do priestly things. One was Saul, and Saul did not wait the appointed time and he began to offer a sacrifice that was not within his power or authority to do. Then there was King Uzziah. We saw him when I was here back in July. In the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah died alone as a leper because, as you remember, we talked about Second Chronicles, and he entered into the temple, and he grabbed a censer, and he went to burn incense on the altar of incense, which was not within his pay grade. He was a king, not a priest. And he was driven out and isolated as he contracted leprosy while he was in the house of God. And you remember we said that 81 priests withstood him and they literally threw him, pushed him out of the house of God as he was stricken with leprosy. Notice in Deuteronomy 18, we're going to begin in verse 20. The idea in the office of prophet was created by God. Now, Deuteronomy is really the last book of Moses, and it's the book that he kind of recites to that next generation that's ready to go into the promised land. You'll remember that God had brought them out in the Exodus, and you remember how they got to Kadesh Barnea, and the spies were sent out, and they brought back a favorable report, but they said, we can't conquer it. At least 10 of them did. Two said, yeah, we can do it today. Let's go. The other 10 said, we're like grasshoppers, and then we're going to eat us alive. They, you know, kind of fetched and moaned. And they didn't go into the land. They wandered for 40 years until that entire generation died. And then the next generation, they were ready to go in. And Moses kind of restates everything that's happened in the book of Deuteronomy from, from the, the Exodus all the way through. And it says in verse 20, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, then that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. Now, let me tell you, the idea of prophet, and we have a little of this. I remember years ago, one of the big uh, movers and shakers in this prophetic area in our world was someone named Gene Dixon. And I remember you know, Gene Dixon said this, Gene Dixon said that. Gene Dixon's accuracy rating was pretty little. It was very minimal. God says that if a prophet proclaims the word, it has to be accurate 100% of the time, not 99 not 99 and 44, 100%. No, it's got to be 100% accurate, 100% of the time. And if they're not 100% accurate, they are not speaking for the Lord. And you don't have to listen to them, and you don't regard them. So we're not worried about Nostradamus, and we're not worried about Gene Dixon and any kind of prophecies of doom, because the book tells you how it's going to go down. The ministry of prophet was ordained by God. And through Genesis all the way through to Malachi, there are over 300 references. Some very obvious, some a little less obvious, but they refer to the coming long-expected Messiah. Let's take a look at some of them. In Genesis 
the book of the beginning, the book of, of, of the start of everything, we have the first messianic prophecy. Probably one that's a little obscure to many. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, 15, God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, he's talking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed. He, the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head, and you, the serpent, shall bruise his heel. This is called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first mention of the gospel anywhere in scriptures. And if you remember Genesis 3, you remember just kind of real quick that, that Adam and Eve were, were, were tempted, at least Eve was. And she was interacting with a serpent that I believe was a demon-possessed manifestation of Satan. I believe that serpent was Satan. And Satan lied to her because that's what Satan is. My friend, Satan is the liar. He's a deceiver. And he wanted to be like God. And so he corrupted the creation. And if you remember the account, they hid themselves because when God came, you realized you were created by God for God. God wants to have a relationship with you because God loves you very much. You are so important to God that the scripture says God so loved, and you could put your name right in there, that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus came for us. That's why God came. And that coming is mentioned first here in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman. Now notice it's the seed of a woman. Back in the Hebrew scriptures, seed was reckoned through a man. The man provides the seed. Science fact. But this particular birth was going to be very unique. And it was going to be the seed of the woman that was going to judge the serpent and his seed. And dear ones, that ultimately happened on the cross of Calvary, which we're going to be celebrating in just a, just a few moments here. Jesus nailed to the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he said, it's finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And at that point, Satan was a doomed foe. Why? Because just three days later, up from the grave he arose. I know we're mixing our holidays. And we're just saying, joy to the world. Well, from the grave he rose. But you see, without Christmas and that miraculous birth, he would have been unable to, up from the grave, arise victorious over death and sin. And folks, that proto-evangelium, God is promising there. There's going to be a unique birth. This is going to be different. It's not going to be the norm because the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Therein is the gospel. We move on. This one's even a little bit more obscure. In Genesis chapter 9, and what's happening here is, you see, God is announced in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of the woman, so any woman, anywhere, anytime, any place in human history could theoretically have been the one that was going to be the one who would bear that seed that would crush the head of the serpent. But Genesis is going to funnel that down. In Genesis chapter 9, in verse 26, we learn that that seed of a woman is going to come through the line of Shem. Shem is one of Noah's sons. You remember that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And you remember after the flood, they came out, and Noah planted a vineyard, it says in the text, and he became drunk with the, with the wine that was produced by that, that vineyard. And after he awoke from that condition, 
He knew what his older son had done because his older son had come in and seen him in that inebriated condition. And in the Middle East and in that culture, it's very right and respectable to honor your elders. The elder, this is like what happens in the Orient, almost became elder worship, elder respect. And so the father had been humbled or belittled or brought down in the eyes of his son. But you remember that Shem and Japheth went in backwards. It says they went in backwards to cover their father's nakedness because they didn't want to see their dad in that compromised position. When he awoke, he knew what had happened. There weren't many people in the world. It didn't take long to figure out. And he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Now, you look at that phrase. Blessed be the Lord. You're going to see it's all caps. Blessed be Jehovah. Blessed be Yahweh. Blessed be the Lord, the Elohim of Shem. And may Canaan be a servant. He's saying that God was going to have a special relationship with the Shemitic people. If you take the H out of Shem, you have Semite, Semitic. Today, anti-Semitism is anti-Jewish. It's anti-Israel. It's anti-Zionist because all of those terms are synonymous. God says the seed of the woman is going to be a descendant of Noah's son, Shem. He's going to be a Semite. But we're not going to leave it there because in Genesis chapter 12, and you see two other passages, God is then going to funnel it down even further from the seed of a woman, very broad, to a descendant from Shem, Genesis chapter 12, to a descendant of Abraham. Because Abraham was promised in Genesis 12, land, seed, and blessing. Take a look, real quick. Get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to a land I'll show you. There's the land. And I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you. There's the blessing. And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, or through you, or because of you, all the nations of the earth will or shall be blessed. That's the seed. And if you're here today and you know Jesus is Lord and Savior, you have been blessed by the seed of Abraham. If you have a Bible and you love it as much as we do, you owe a debt to the Jewish people because this is a Jewish book written to the Jewish people from the pen of the Jewish prophets containing how God was going to bring the greatest gift that this planet ever could receive to the world and the vehicle he chose for the Jewish people, Abraham. Very broad prophecy, seed of a woman, descendant of Shem, descendant of Shem's son, Abraham. Abraham's son, Isaac, second verse that's up there. Isaac's son, Jacob. You see, God was funneling it down exactly who and how the Messiah was going to come. It was going to be a woman through Abraham, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and ultimately Judah. In Genesis 49, 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is a messianic reference. And unto him shall the gathering of the peoples, or the Gentiles, be. He was going to come through Judah. And then Judah's son, David. Which is why we sing about the house of David, and he was born in Bethlehem. You see, the prophets were beginning all the way back in Genesis. They were beginning to tell us, look, there's going to be a seed of a woman. There's going to be a descendant of Shem's, Noah's son, Shem. Shem's son, Abraham. Abraham's son, Isaac. Isaac's son, Jacob. Jacob's son, Judah. Judah's son, David. But he doesn't even leave it there. There's a couple more. 
We just sang about Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Seed of the woman is the virgin. And even in the Gospels, they pick up on that. They pick up on that the seed of the woman indicated a virgin birth, a very unique birth. And as we go through this Christmas series, we're going to be introduced to that virgin in just a, just a couple of days. And then finally, Micah 5.2. But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the tribes of Judah, yet shall he come forth to me, who is to be a ruler in all Israel, whose goings forth, whose activities are from of old, from days of timeless eternity. Do you realize Jesus decided when he was going to come and who his mother is going to be and where she was going to be when he was born? Because that taxation claim when Quirinius was governor of Syria and he sent out a decree that all the world should be taxed. An accident, right? Yeah, not really. God knew exactly what he was going to do. Because from the seed of the woman all the way down to being born in the manger of Bethlehem, the word contains the plan. The word makes it clear what the message was, that he was to be virgin born, a descendant of, of Shem and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David. That's why the songwriter said, through the years you made it clear that the time of Messiah was near. But your people just couldn't see what Messiah had to be, ought to be. Your word contains the plan. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. And we see that struggle as Jesus comes into the world. Now, there's more to it than just this, too, because this, you could say, so what? Okay, so he was, he was prophesied, it was foreordained, he was going to be here. Uh, I feel like that lady in the old Burger King ad. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Well, let me tell you, I'm glad you asked. In Revelation 19.6, the scripture says, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And omnipotent means all-powerful. Folks, the fact that over 333 messianic prophecies declare the, the, the coming Messiah and, and the odds of one man fulfilling eight of them to 48 of them to all 333, it requires the omnipotent God. And if he's omnipotent and can, he can track of this, how much more can he keep track of you? Remember what was said in the Gospel of Matthew? You know, why do we worry and say, what are we going to eat or what are we going to put on? Look at the flower of the field. They neither, they neither sow nor do they, they but look at how God has clothed them. We used to sing when I was young in Sunday school, be not dismayed, whatever be tied. God will take care of you. And I could talk to any number of you and have you stand up and you could give a testimony of the great things God has done to even what we heard today. Praise the Lord for Manny and, and we just pray this continues. Our God is an omnipotent God. He's all powerful. And he can do whatever he wants. And when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. You don't have to worry about it. It's done deal. And then Isaiah 46 this passage is very special to us at Friends of Israel for a number of reasons, but because this is where we got the name of our magazine from, but there's a part here that I want to share beginning in verse 8. Isaiah 46, verse 8. 
Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, oh, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. There's prophecy, folks, things that are not yet done. Yet the Bible declares Jesus returns and will stand on the mountain and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. It's not yet done. But remember, the requirement for a prophet is 100% accuracy. It's going to happen. It's a done deal. As Jack Worson used to say, we win. We're on the victory side. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Folks, God does whatever he wants. And let me tell you, if God wants to do it, I guarantee you, it's not only right and proper, it's perfect. Because, dear one, God never makes a mistake. Ever. Let me tell you, as Christmas unfolds, the world is, is, is an absolute, yeah, it's a mess. Let's just call it what it is. It's a total hot mess. And it's not getting any better. So, you know, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but no, that's not coming this Christmas anyway. But folks, I can talk to you about the one who can clean up that hot mess in a nanosecond because that's what he did in my life when I gave my heart to him. He cleaned up the hot mess that was Thomas Charles Simcox and totally changed everything about him. That's what God does. And you know, right now, we're not seeing the national changes that we'd like to see, but God's working individually one person at a time. But there's going to come a day when that's going to change, and he'll rule the world. I want you there in that day. So we got to get with him now so you could be there in that day. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to, to be home, to be at Graceway, to be able to look at probably one of the most amazing concepts that we could ever see for me in God's Word is the fact that it, you, were, you just proclaimed so far beforehand that you were going to send the Messiah. And the Messiah came, as Galatians says, in the fullness of time, when time was exactly right. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And Father, as, as we have sung and as we continue to through this season, remind us, remind us again of what Christmas is all about. Christmas is God so loved the world that he gave his son to a needy, lost, dead, totally cut off hot mess of a world so that we who were dead could be alive because of your amazing grace. We love you, Lord, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.